I just felt it in my heart just a few months ago just to talk to, 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 to our church about the things that we've been talking about. And I really feel in my heart that, that for so long, many churches, and that includes us here at Generation Church, have been sleeping for so long. And there's so many needs, there's so many things out in the community that we look at and so often we just pass by. But the reality, I believe, that God wants us to wake up and have a look at what's going on in the world around us and do something about that. And we can't do anything about it unless God does something within our lives first. And so we've been talking, and I shared a few weeks ago just about where I was spiritually. I felt that I was kind of uh, in an empty, dry place in my relationship with God. And, and, and the things that God was showing me in order to get to a place where there was like, I had this passion again for God. And I believe that God was doing that with, with you guys as well. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at what that is all about. Well, today I want to continue in that. And I want to talk today about a term that is really hard to talk about. And I'll be honest, this is a a message today that I've just been really careful in in, in how I've constructed it because I don't want to offend you, but I also want to teach you what the truth uh, of the Word of God actually says. So often, it, it would be nice to stand up here at times and just give all nice things that God wants to bless you. God wants you to have a nice new Mercedes. You know, God wants you to become rich and then get a, get a jet plane and fly all over the world. But the reality is, life isn't like that. And the reality is, is that the Bible teaches specific things. And so often we can gloss over them. And people like me who stand up on a Sunday morning in front of people and speak, we don't like to talk about the things that... that I'm going to talk about today, but I hope I do it in love, and I hope I do it with a sincere heart, and I hope you take it with the heart that it's given it. But when I think about the word wicked or wickedness, I do not think about the church, people uh, at uh, Generation Church. You know, actually, when I think about the people at Generation Church, I couldn't think of people who were anything but the complete opposite to wicked people. You know, I'll be honest with you guys this morning. The people at Generation Church, and I don't know if I'm biased just because I like you guys a lot, but I think the people at Generation Church are very loving, they're very caring, they're very kind, they give of themselves to, the, uh, to other people. And so when I think about the word wicked or wickedness, I do not think of the people at Generation Church. Actually, when I think of the term wicked or wickedness, the first thought that comes to my mind is the Wizard of Oz. And I think of the Wicked Witch of the West. And then my mind goes to like fairy tales like Snow White. And she had that wicked stepmother. Or Cinderella who had wicked stepsisters. I, I, I think of like things, cartoons I watched when I, when I was a kid. And there was a cartoon called Wacky Races. Did you guys have that here, Wacky Races? And there was a guy called Dick Dastardly, who was like this wicked man. He had this dog called Muttley that was like laughing. He was like this evil laugh. <laughs> and uh, I think of that. I think of, uh, of uh, 
of, uh, of my favorite show when I was a kid. It was He-Man. And, uh, and, and there was a guy, a baddie in there. His name was Skeletor. And he was a wicked, wicked man. I think of like Darth Vader from Star Wars or Dr. Evil from Austin Powers. And let me just say, Austin Powers is like the greatest movie in the world. Um, but that's what I think of when I think of wicked people. And I think of people throughout history like Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or Saddam Hussein who just took the lives of millions of innocent people. I think of people like that who were wicked. You know, this week we heard of, uh, uh, of the former uh, football defensive coach of Penn State, Jerry Stan, Stan, uh, Stanguski. He, uh, he got convicted uh, uh, or, or got charged um, on 45 counts found guilty of molestation and, 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 and indecency and things like that. And when I think of wickedness, that's what I think of. I think of, of bad people in our society like sexual predators and murderers. I, I think of those who steal from the poor and line their own pockets to make themselves rich and like, like the husbands who beat their wives. I mean, those are wicked people. I certainly don't think of people in Generation Church. You guys aren't like that. Like, well, I don't think you're like that. Anyway, I hope you're not. So when we get to a verse, like the verse that we've been talking about for, la- for the last several weeks, and if you haven't been here, we've been talking about a verse that's found in the second book of Chronicles, chapter 7 and verse 14. And when I come across this verse, I have a hard time trying to distinguish what it's all about. When I read it on the surface, I think this does not apply to me. For this verse, what this verse was, and we'll go through it in a minute, this verse was a condition that God gave to a man named Solomon. And God gave this condition to Solomon. He said, Solomon, if you want your land to be fruitful and full of blessing and, and full and not dry or desolate or have plagues, then there's a condition that you must take. And the condition was this. God says that if my people who are Israel who are called by my name, if they humble themselves, and by humbling themselves, meaning that they come to God in humility. Not coming to God with this self-focus, like I'm the greatest person in the world. Coming to God with this lowness of heart. And then he says, if my people who humble themselves, and then they pray, and, and what we talked about prayer, we talked about a prayer that is like an interceding prayer, where God is here, and there's other people here, and you're standing right in the gap, and you're holding on to God, and you're holding on to them, and you're praying for them. He said, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and then last week we talked about what it means to seek God's face. And, and it basically means a, a desire or a life goal just to dwell in the presence of God. He said, if we do all that, and then he says, if my people who call by my name shall humble themselves, shall pray, shall seek my face. And then the Bible says, and if they turn from their wicked ways, then the promise of God is this, that God will hear their prayers. He will forgive their sins. And then he'll start to restore their land and start blessing their land. So when I start looking at this and I see that God told them that they must turn from their wicked ways. On face value, I think that does not apply to us. I mean, really, we are not wicked people. There were wicked people out there in society. I mean, there was a guy down in, in, in Joppa just a, a few weeks ago, a, few, a month ago, who like, ate like his roommate. I mean, that's just like 
weird and wicked and evil. So I don't think that we're wicked. And so when I read this, I have a hard time. And so that's sometimes when you have to just study what God is really saying to the people. You know, the Old Testament was, was written in a language called Hebrew. And Hebrew and English do not intermingle with each other. They're like Languages like uh, Spanish and French and, and, and Italian, they're all Latin-based. And so they kind of intermingle with each other. Some of the words are the same. The meanings are the same. The definitions are the same. But Hebrew is a language that is totally different. And in the Hebrew language, if you want to translate it to English, then one Hebrew word basically consists of like a sentence in English. You can't just translate word for word. So when the people who translated the Bible, they they had a hard time trying to translate the Bible because Hebrew is such a difficult language to translate. So in our our, uh, term, we could say something like, Uh, wicked, and that means something totally different in Hebrew. And Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, they made something wicked, but it means something totally different in English. It's very hard to distinguish like for like. And the term, turn from your wicked ways, means something very different when God gave it to Solomon than it does for us in 2012. So when we hear wicked ways, we think of evil people. But God was talking about his people. His people. And so what we see, we see that wickedness is a cultural perspective. Did you know that things that people found wicked a hundred years ago, we no longer find wicked. And things that we think are wicked now, 500 years ago, it was the norm. It wasn't wicked at all. You know, we think that we have progressed as a society. And you hear like the politicians all the time or even people say, we've progressed as a society. The reality is we haven't progressed. It's just our perspective on what wickedness is has changed. Our perspective has changed. And so the word wicked in Hebrew here means something that we do not think in English. To get a literal translation, there's three things that that we can define the term that God uses. Firstly, in Hebrew, wicked means good. I'm sorry, bad, not good. That's the first level. Bad, not good. Then the second level, it means evil, not holy. Evil, not holy. And then the third level that it means is this. Self-focused not God-focused. Self-focused, not God-focused. So bad, evil, self-focused. That's what it means by, by, by wicked. And then the word there, it says, it doesn't say just wicked, it said wicked ways. Well, what does that mean? What does, what's a way? What, what does wicked ways mean? Well, the, the term way in Hebrew basically means the way, or a road, or a journey that you are on, a path. That you are on. So basically God is saying to Israel that they are on a path or on a road that is not holy, that is not good, and is not God-focused. In fact, in another, translation, another way we could translate it is this. 
is that God is saying to them, they are on a journey that is full of sadness and misery and is not fulfilling. That's what God is saying to them. Because they're doing things that are, that are bringing sadness and misery on themselves. And then the word turn, he says, turn from your wicked ways. The word term in Hebrew basically means to come back. To come back. Or return to your starting point. It also can mean to realign yourself because you have gone off course. So here, with those definitions, basically when we read this, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God is basically saying this. He's saying to the people, come back from that road of pain, that road of suffering, that road of misery and self-seeking that you are on. And come back to the starting point because you have gone offline. You have gone offline. You've gone out of alignment. And I ask you today, what path are you on in this life? What path are you on in this life? Last week, I asked the question, I said, what is your life goal? And we discussed how a man named David and a man named Obed-Edom had a life goal of just seeking the presence of God. Well, today I want to ask you, what path in life are you on? On. If you were a car, then would you go straight or would you always find yourself pulling a little to the right? Would there be some alignment issues with you? You know, a few years ago, I bought this car when I first came to Maryland. It's a, it's a Hyundai Tucson. And uh, I really liked the car. It was really powerful. And uh, about six months into buying the car, we went up to New York. And uh, I went up to the Staten Island Ferry. And, and so you cross over the bridge from New Jersey into New York. And if you've ever driven in New York, you know that their roads are like really bad. There's potholes everywhere. So I was driving this car, and I was probably driving about 40 miles an hour on Staten Island, and I was making my way to the ferry, and I hit this pothole as hard as you can imagine. And I didn't think anything of it because my car's like 4x4, and and my wife keeps calling it like a mini SUV. I'm like, when I get in, I think it's like this big Range Rover or something. But uh, it really can't take much uh, damage to it. Well, a couple of weeks after... My car just started revering off to the right all the time. And so, like, I was driving like this to go straight. And then it started making this noise. Every time I turned, it made this noise. Well, it was on the warranty, so I took it to the dealership. And the dealership looked at it. And basically, one of the, uh, uh, one of the, 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 the shoe uh, bearings or something, I'm not a car person, so I don't know, in, in, in the wheel had cracked. And, and they said, if I'd let it go a co- another couple of months, then my wheel would have just come off. And, and, and he says, have you hit any potholes lately? I'm like, oh boy, did I hit a pothole. And that's sometimes like us in life. We go on life in a journey, and, and everything is great, everything is wonderful, and then we'll hit something in life, and suddenly it will just take us off course. And if you stay off course long enough, it's going to do enough damage to affect you. For the rest of your life. And so God told Solomon, he said, your people, the people that you are king over, the people of Israel are on the wrong path. But the problem is 
these people didn't even realize they were on the wrong path. You know, Jesus told a story once, and he said, he said to his disciples, he said, there were two people. There was this one who had sinned and done a lot of sin. And, and then there was this other person who had just done a little bit of sin. He said they both came to God and God forgave them. And Jesus said to the disciples, which one do you think was more thankful to God for forgiveness? And the disciple says, well, the one who sinned even more. And Jesus said, yeah, exactly, the one who sinned even more. And so often when we go through life, we can sin so much. And it's the people who sin a lot, they realize that they are sinning and they are doing things that are not right in the sight of God. And it's those people who come to God and they have this transformation. But the problem is, so many of us, we go through this life and we're like the other person and we do a little sin here and a little sin here and we disobey God here or we don't follow God here and we think we're okay because we're not like the other person. But the reality is, is Jesus puts us in exactly the same category. And when you read the Bible and you go through it, you start to see that Jesus has a heart for people who have gone offline. And the people in Solomon's day, they were not like real bad sinners. They weren't going around killing people. They weren't ones going down bowing to all these false idols. These were people who, they loved God. If they were today, they would go to church. They made sacrifices to God. In fact, they just unloaded their life savings, building a temple for God. They thought everything was okay. But the reality was, is that they started to see their nation decline. Their economy started to decline. The blessings that their parents received, they weren't receiving. The land that was fruitful and produced lots of fruit, now we're starting to decline. In fact, even though they didn't disobey God, they still worshipped God, they started having what we call false doctrines come in to their nation. And they started to believe things that were not of God. And the problem is, for this nation, they were in a slow decline. And they didn't even know they were in a slow decline. And God was saying to them, He said, look, you've gone off course. And now it's time to come back to the place where you made that wrong turn. Come back to that starting point and start that journey again. You know, in today's society, I think we've become very tolerant of sin. Very tolerant of sin. And I think so often in church, we become very tolerant because we think this. We think, well, Jesus was a loving God. Jesus was a loving man. And Jesus was tolerant to people and tolerant of their sin. Well, the reality was this, that Jesus was loving, but Jesus wasn't tolerant. Tolerant wasn't even in Jesus' handbook. In fact, if you were to go through the Gospels and underline every time Jesus spoke to somebody, You would see a pattern every time. And this is what Jesus would say. He would say, your sins are forgiven. Now turn and sin no more. Turn and repent. That's what he would say every time. Jesus would look at someone. He would love on someone. But then he would look at their sin and he would say, stop sinning. Turn around because you've gone off line. And the message of Jesus was one of repentance. And that God was going to come. 
And in fact, at one point, Jesus' message offended people so much. The Bible says that there were thousands that followed Jesus. Then he preached this one message. And it was basically this. Stop looking to yourselves and look to God. And the Bible says from that moment, many no longer followed Jesus. Many no longer followed Jesus. They saw the miracles that he did. But the reality was they did not want to turn from the sin that was in their lives. And as you read the Bible, you see this message all the way through. Years later, Jesus had, had gone to heaven and his disciples were on the earth. And this is what the message that his disciples gave in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. We see a man named Peter. He says this. He tells the people, he says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. This was the message that they went out to people. Turn from your sin. Repent. You know, in fact, Jesus gave a message to seven churches in, in, in what is com- uh, now modern-day Turkey. And there were seven letters that he sent uh, through a man called the Apostle John. And out of the seven churches to five of the churches, Jesus said this. He says, turn from your sin and repent of your ways. Turn from your sin. Five of the seven, Jesus said that to them. And I ask you today. Are we that church? Are we that church? Are you that people that God is asking to turn and repent? Turn from your wicked ways. Come off the path that you've gone off and, and you've gone off in a, li- um, a misalignment and come back to that starting point. I ask you another question today. And just ask yourselves, what are your wicked ways? What are your wicked ways? Where have you gone offline with God? If Jesus was here today, standing in front of you, what sins, evils, or misalignments would God tell you to repent of? What would Jesus ask of you today? What path would Jesus find you on? And would Jesus ask you to go back to the starting point? You know, there was a man in the Bible who found that his life had gone severely off course. Severely off course. And God spoke to this man, and this man turned back to God. And this is the prayer that that man prays when he turned back to God. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Psalm chapter 51, this is what God said to this man. He said, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion and it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Will you, be pr- uh, prove, uh, you will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. Then he says this. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. womb, Teaching wisdom even there. Then he says this. Purify me from my sins. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, God. Now let me rejoice. 
Don't let me keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. This was a man who knew what it was to repent. Why? Because this man had gone severely offline. The man who wrote these words was a man called King David. He was Solomon's father. And King David found that his life had gone extremely off course. This is what happened to David. In the space of a few months, he committed what is known as fornication. Fornication is like this biblical word that, that, that you look at like, what does that really mean? Well, I'll give you a basic definition. Fornic- fornication is this. Fornication is sexual relations outside of the vows of marriage. That's what fornication is. Basic definition. And in the eyes of God, this was a sin. And so David had committed fornication. He had had relations outside of marriage. Then the Bible says that he had committed adultery. Adultery is different from fornication. Adultery is basically breaking the marriage vow. And he broke it because he went and slept with another woman who was also married. That also was a sin in the sight of God's eyes. Then David conspired to cover up his sin. Then David started to lie. And that also is a sin in the sight of God's eyes. Eventually this man had gone off so, of course, so much that he ordered a man to be killed, murdered. Guess what? That's a sin in God's eyes. This is someone who has gone severely off the wrong path. And you think, well, this guy must have been like the biggest sinner in the world. Actually, the Bible tells us that this man, David, was a man who had a heart after God's own heart. God blessed this man so much because of his heart after God. I want to show you something. The day that this man started to go off course. And it wasn't because he decided one day, I'm just going to go and kill a man because that's a great idea. He went off course because he made one small little mistake that took him offline. In the second book of Samuel, chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war. His job was a king. He should have been at war. David sent Joab, which was the leader of his army, and the Israelite army to fight the Amorites. They destroyed the Amorite army and laid siege to the city of Rabah. Now listen to this. However, David, the king, stayed behind in Jerusalem. David stayed behind in Jerusalem. I don't know the reason why David stayed behind in Jerusalem. He may have felt unwell. He may have had a headache that day. He may have just been feeling sorry for himself. I don't know. Maybe his favorite football team was on TV and he wanted to watch them. But David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. David, instead of thinking about his nation and about God, started to think about himself. Instead of being God-focused, he became self-focused. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
most of us would read that and we'd think, well, so what? I mean, he's a king. He can do what he wants, right? But it's from this moment that everything starts to go downhill. Listen to this. 2 Samuel 11, verse 2. Late one afternoon. So everybody else is off to war. David's in his big old palace. After his midday rest. I'll be honest, how many of you would like a midday rest? I'm like, I wish I was Spanish because I want a siesta. You know, I get, I'm like, sit there at work. I'm like, I'm so tired. Anyway, so he had a midday rest. David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty. Basically, she was hot. He says he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And I'll be honest, I don't care what guy of you, uh, you are. If you're on your rooftop and you look over and there's a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath, then you're going to be in for some trouble. And this guy was in trouble. Because what happened is David saw this woman, and then David decided, I want that woman. And then David, being king, was able to get that woman. And then David's life just went out of control. He got the woman pregnant. He tried to get his, her husband to come back and sleep with her, to hide it. He wouldn't because he was an honorable man. And then he got that man killed, and then he married that woman. All because this man decided one day he would think about himself instead of thinking about God and about others. That is how easy it is to go off course. It's like driving on a road one day, hitting a pothole, and then your car starts pulling to the right. No biggie. But look what happens. His life ends up in disaster. David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He should have been at war. And his focus had gone off God. He killed this man who was called uh, Uriah the Hittite. Who was, this woman was called Bathsheba that he slept with. Her husband. He killed her because one day he let his guard down. And his focus went on himself. And when his focus went on himself, then suddenly his focus looked out. And his focus went on a woman. And his focus became self-seeking. Then his focus became full of lust. Then his focus came to guilt. Then his focus came to trying to hide it. And then his focus found himself in desperation. And it ended in a life destroyed. This was a man who had a heart after God's own heart. But one little thing just took him offline. And if anybody needed to turn from their wicked ways, it was David. And if David is a man after God's own heart, and I'll be honest, I'm a man no better than David. God hasn't told me I've got a heart after God's own heart. That would be great. So if David went offline, then how easy it is for me, how easy it is for you to go offline. And I ask you today, is your focus self-seeking or is it God-seeking? What is your focus in life today? For what you focus on, you will become. And as we close today, as we finish, I just want to read two more scriptures to you. And this was a scripture, the first one, it's found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28. This is a scripture that I've struggled with all my life because I do not understand it. Or I did not understand it. But now I'm beginning to start to understand it. And in Matthew 
chapter 5. Well, I'm going to start at verse 27. It says this. Jesus says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. And what we said, adultery was basically breaking the marriage vow. Physically breaking the marriage vow. It's like doing a deed. Breaking the marriage vow. You've heard that it's a sin to commit adultery. But Jesus said this, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow, that's a tough one. That's a tough one right there. But this is what I think Jesus is saying. He says, where your focus is, where you are focusing, that's exactly where you're going to end up. The best way to draw a straight line, I learned this like elementary school. Put one point here, like a dot, put a dot there, put the pencil on this dot, look at the other dot, and then just draw that straight line. And wherever your focus is, that is where you're going to end up. And Jesus says to, to, to the men or to, or to the women, he says, if you look at somebody lustfully, then you've already committed adultery because that's where you're heading. You're on that path. You are going that way. Where is your focus today? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says this. It says, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily strip, uh, trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Then verse 2 says this, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Our focus on Jesus, who is the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith because of joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now it is the seal in the place of honor beside God's throne. The Bible there says in Hebrews, he says, let your focus be on Jesus. Let your focus be on Jesus. And if your focus is on Jesus and 100% Jesus, then the reality is, is we need to turn from our wicked ways. We need to turn from that place that we've gone offline and we need to come back to that starting point and we need to start again. We need to leave that path of misery, the path of pain, the path of evil, the path of self-centeredness behind. And we need to start the walk of faith with our eyes fixedly put on Jesus. And I don't know where you are today in your life. Your life may be a complete wreck like David. It may be at a place where, where it's one mistake after another. And you just know that your life has gone off course. Or you may be like Solomon and the people of Israel. And you don't even realize that your life is off course. You don't even realize that you've gone out of alignment. You just think, well, my life's just pulling a little to the right. Whatever place that you find yourself in today. It's time to turn, to return And start again. Let's bow our heads in prayer.